0: Bubble, bumble, 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 Thank you and welcome to another episode of the CX Loyalty Podcast. My name is Ben Sterling and I'm the MD of Web Loyalty UK. In today's show, we're going to cover two areas that businesses can seek to adopt more and how to leverage behavioural economics so they can seek to grow their business in this time of COVID and lockdown. We have today with us our expert in the field, James Souter. James, if you want to just introduce yourself,
1: Uh, briefly. Hi Ben, hello everyone. Yep, so my name is James Souter. Uh, I work for an economics consultancy firm called London Economics and specifically I work in our behavioural economics team. So what we do is we advise organisations on how they can apply behavioural insights in their work and their business.
0: Fantastic. And so we've got lots of questions lined up and hopefully we will fit them in within the time. And I know there's probably a lot of questions that are on everyone's mind about what more they could be doing to make sure they maximize the either increased traffic they have now or how to make sure they retain their existing customers. So I think let's, let's start on that broader horizon, right, which is the increase in, in you know online shopping. And the landscape has really kind of dramatically changed over the last couple of months. And, you know, we've seen stats from anywhere to say that online shopping has surged by 129% across the UK and Europe, with a 31% of global consumers increasing their online actual expenditure. One of the, the ratios that really stood out for me was the comparison, James, of kind of like online versus in store, you know, it typically grew at 1% per annum and in store and and online, should I say, was 22%. But, you know, we saw a kind of decade of growth of that within just eight weeks into into COVID. What's your view on the current situation?
1: So I think, yeah, it, totally. It's It seems to be becoming the, the sort of new normal that people are shopping online more. And whereas previously, essentially, their habits were to um, shop offline or to mix and match a bit more, I think that more and more it's becoming people's go-to standard behavior. So in a sort of behavioral economics sense, there's a concept known as status quo bias, which basically says that people typically stick to what they've done before quite closely but this pandemic seems to have really shaken things up and it's made people change their habits pushing them more online and that sort of accelerated a trend that had uh, been there in the past but it's really shifted it on a lot more quickly.
0: And, And there's two I think key areas I think that we're going to get into today right which is how behavioral economics then can help people with those habits that have been created and and there was two key topics you know conversion and essentially you know what insights behavioral economics can provide to capture that share of online traffic that has increased in certain industries and segments and then the other one was retention insights those you know any company that's uh, seen this increase and actually now wants to try and retain this new uh, customer base that they've got access to. So. I guess as a, as a follow-up question and comment, really, is that like we've worked closely together and, you know, for the last, I think, eight months now in total, mm-hmm. and, you know, London Economics is one of Europe's leading specialists in economics and, and policy consultancies, and, you know, we, we've we created together this report, Digital Choice, right, which is um, available on our website. I think we're going to have the link in this to download, and that covers a, a wide range of different uh, tactics and behaviours and research, right? Is there bit more you can tell us about
1: that report and the information yeah so you know we wanted we when we set out to do the report we really wanted to understand uh what does behavioral economics say about those sort of two areas that you mentioned so conversion and retention so behavioral economics really it's what it is is it's the kind of combination of economics with psychology. Um, so economics is obviously the study of people behaving in different markets and psychology is about how our brains work and behavioral economics is about bringing those two things together and what, how, what can they tell you when used in in combination. And what it really does is it provides us with um, a kind of framework for understanding how people behave uh, in the economy when they're making purchases and interacting with um, providers and suppliers. Um, And it also provides a kind of powerful set of tools for um, how People could influence decisions that are made. Um, so, the kind of cent- central to it is this idea that there are a number of um, so called behavioral biases, which are basically kind of systematic patterns in our behavior and ways that we behave, which have been observed in sort of research conducted by lots of academics originally in the 1970s, but sort of, you know, throughout until the present day, which identify how people behave in these specific ways. And you see a lot of examples of companies using these ideas in a kind of ad hoc way. Um, But I think there's sort of been little systematic research about the adoption of these ideas by e-commerce businesses. And it seems that sort of many don't um, fully understand and use um, these insights. So I think that's why we wanted to to do this report and to sort of set out to investigate it more thoroughly and really set out what are the key ideas which can be used in those two areas of conversion and retention.
0: Absolutely. And super interesting. I, I like, the, you know, what you say about that there's a psychological element and then that creates behavior. And from my uh, recollection, there was there's over like 200 biases, aren't there? So I think one yes. of the things that I took away and, and one of the things in the report right, was this ability to surface up some of those key examples of what is utilized today, uh, effectively and equally not effectively. So therefore, creating opportunities for different industries, mm-hmm. And so I guess that that makes, you know, and and sitting in that kind of common sense corner, it makes a lot of sense to me, right? Which is that we behave and we react to certain things. And I guess if we create those scenarios on websites or e-commerce, Uh, shopping you know experiences then you're likely to create behavior at the back of it and making sure that it's a behavior that's obviously works for the business and works for the consumer is going to lead to better outcomes so super interesting And, and so let's dive in right let's let's have a look at some of those conversion biases um You know, I'm always a big, you know, fan and, 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 you know, how numbers tell a story, right? And one stat that always stays with me is that, you know, a a 1% increase in conversion will achieve the same amount of sales revenue as a 35% increase in traffic, Mm -hmm. right? So when Mm -hmm. you've got to focus your efforts, you know, that's a great reminder as to where do you, can you make small increment changes that have exponential results? So Mm. It would be great just to touch on, you know, the 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 overview you have in terms of conversion and, you know, yeah. give a bit of an introduction into conversion insights.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, so a question I was asked is, you know, if you were going to name three biases, what would be the top one for something, top ones for something like conversion? I mean, as as you said, there are literally hundreds of these things which have been identified in the research. And um, so I think one I would probably highlight in the context of conversion is the effect of what we call anchoring. So anchoring basically refers to the way that um, we adjust our perceptions and our decisions based on um, the first piece of information we see, and in particular, an initial value that we see. So we we anchor ourselves to, to, to a value that we see perhaps during the customer journey. So for example, just to give an example, whether we perceive a price as being um, particularly expensive, or or alternatively a good deal might depend on a previous price that we've seen, or even just a number that we've seen previously during the customer journey. There was a, 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 an experiment that was done by a very well-known US um, behavioral economist uh, called Dan Ariely. And what he did is he got students to write down the last two digits of their social security number. And then he observed that when he then got those students to bid for different products to buy, like bottles of wine and so on, those who had written down and seen a higher num two digits on the end of their social security number actually bid more. So simply by getting them to look at and read and write down a essentially random but higher number influenced people to value products more. So that's an example of sort of anchoring from a behavioral experiment, but it just shows you the um, impact of seeing a particular number essentially before making a decision and I think there's lots of examples of that that you can see um, in e-commerce as well
0: yeah that's super interesting and so it's almost it almost as well reminds me of you know value that is you know perceived right and so if I think of like Audi's these comparison ads where they use price comparison to compare against other retailers that have a higher price. So here's your kind of typical shop and here's the price of it. And then I guess that's what you're saying becomes the anchor point. And then they'll present the equivalent shop at Audi at a much lower price.
1: Yeah, exactly. Present Providing that, deliberately providing that anchor for people at the at the outset.
0: Super interesting. So it's almost like the evidence, right, to to anchor in uh, when they present their price, because without the reference, you just, yeah, your perception as to whether they, I guess, the Audi's price is cheaper or not, is is just an opinion as opposed to more of a fact. So it's super interesting And, and common in sales as well, I actually just think, you know, anchoring is obviously quite commonly used in sales and negotiation, right? People jumping in to create the anchor point.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people do it kind of naturally as a salesperson. I mean, what behavioral economics does is it provides you with this kind of intellectual and research-based background to why these things are effective um, and why they work and the evidence for it, for some things that sort of some companies, but not all, will do kind of intuitively anyway. I think another one uh, that I, I would sort of point to in terms of another behavioral bias or concept from the behavioral mm. literature, which is sort of important in this context, is that it's something called priming and framing. I mean, really, this is something that is quite similar to anchoring, actually, But instead of being about, you know, a particular number like a price, it's more about the kind of more general cues and prompts which people get. So, you know, when uh, people are exposed to different stimuli during a decision making process, for example, if they're part of a customer journey, those prompts can um change the way that we feel and affect our behavior without us being consciously aware of it so there are lots of examples of these things in the world so you know when people are given a certain signal and then that influences their behavior and i think that's another thing where you can see examples of that in the commercial setting in in e-commerce
0: yeah so i i, I know um with my ex-travel background, I know booking.com, you know, recently kind of adopted from what you're saying, that kind of priming and kind of framing really as well, the bias of the free cancellation filter. And from what you're saying, it's like that kind of framing effect of where a consumer makes or decides on making that decision is like associated with either, is it going to have a positive or, you know, a negative connotation? So by adding a free cancellation film, filter. I guess you prime the audience into thinking, you know what, there's a high chance you might have to cancel or change or adapt your travel um, over the coming months. No one knows. Um, but ultimately, it then mitigates that concern or risk of loss by having the ability to frame the information in a free cancellation, mitigates all the risk. And then ultimately, I guess for them, leads to more sales and, and more commitment from yeah. the customer
1: definitely giving that initial message um, that makes it very salient to people that uh, cancellation is a potential or the need to cancel something is a potential issue at the moment especially with the sort of changing COVID rules that's going to be and and prompting people to have that in mind when making their decision and then effectively sort of solving that problem for them at the next step is is definitely essentially a a form of priming and framing yes. And
0: so tell us us a bit about How, you know, one of the classic examples is probably, you know, I guess, like Amazon, right? Users, they are always called out for using a number of techniques. Give give us an example of something they might use, you know, on on their site to increase conversion and get get people purchasing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I guess that, yeah, I think the another bias I'd probably highlight is um, so-called present bias. So basically what this is, is it's the idea that... Uh, people focus extremely heavily on the present, the very present moment. So in sort of traditional economics, we people sort of acknowledge that, you know, you prefer money closer to the present than further away. Present bias is about – it's really the effect of the – the present moment right now being very important in people's decision making. So we very heavily focus on the sort of enjoyment that we can receive right now or could receive right now as opposed to something in the future. So this is... Uh, really, for example, it can be helped. It can help to explain why we procrastinate, how we put things, or why we put things off. So we we don't want to do unenjoyable things now. We put them off, or you know, we want to um, purchase this product and get hold of a particular good or service right now as quickly as possible because we're affected by our present bias. So you talk about Amazon. So I think that you know there is definitely ways that the they as a, as a as a company are helping to provide people with products and services which sort of place to the present bias through the immediacy that they that they offer.
0: Yeah. So like the buy now with one click, right? The introduction of being able to purchase with that single click was I mean it makes buying things super easy, right?
1: So <laughs> I guess yeah, exactly, it really exactly. leans on that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's all about how people are very driven to satisfy those sort of wants that they have immediately essentially yeah
0: and and then before we kind of you know i ask you a bit about then some retention biases just to kind of capture that so is there a combination that can be utilized so within a singular sales journey from a consumer from you know product to sale page to you know completing the order i'm assuming then there's a combination of these things that can be used all at once to if you like just accelerate that the the amount of consumers that go and make it through to a purchase and, and actually equally in the speed in which they can do so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the most effective uses of these things are when they are used in combination. So you can imagine a sales journey which involves uh, an anchoring price and some cues which prime people and framing of the decision making and then combined with a sort of an interface like the one you mentioned of Amazon with one click. So uh, sort of um, satisfying that present bias that people have. So, you know, and there are also, as we, we talked, we mentioned before, many other biases as well, which we sort of talk about in more detail in the report which all can be combined into a very effective process
0: and i think once you become aware of this now certainly from my perspective it's like i look out for these things you know when i'm on an e-commerce site and Um, It it suddenly becomes you become apparently aware as to where they're being utilized and where they're effective and equally where they're not effectively used. And I know on some travel sites they've been criticized for different types of, shall we say, pop up messaging to drive behavior, which maybe hasn't been as accurate or maybe hasn't, you know, it's been seen through by the consumer and therefore doesn't have the desired effect. Um, So let's let's dive into that. So, you know, retention um, and talk a little bit about give give us an overview of retention biases in e-commerce.
1: So, I mean, the retention by the behavioural biases are extremely important for retention as well as conversion. And uh, there are a number of different concepts and biases which are relevant to retention. I mean, I think that sort of one I might highlight as being particularly relevant is it's it's referred to as social proofing um, in the literature. And basically what this means is, is it's the the tendency of people to follow the behaviour of others and to in, uh, imitate um group behaviours. So rather than deciding independently what I'm going to do on the basis of my own information, although that information sort of might shape my decision making to some extent, I'm largely going to follow what I see other people doing. So, you know, to give an example from everyday life in the current context, if you walked into a room or you walked down a street and you saw that everyone was wearing a face covering, you'd be likely to respond by putting on your own face covering because you're seeing that That's the kind of the norm and what the group as a whole are doing. And that's a sort of very strong behavioral tendency and behavioral bias which has been demonstrated in all sorts of different contexts but i definitely think that it's something that applies in the context of uh retention
0: yeah well that's really interesting example and like you say around wearing face masks in in, you know particularly even in the uk it's not a a culturally and normally adopted behavior and therefore you know i know that there's been a number of companies and campaigns and to to show and represent that to make it if you like more the new norm right because you need to change that cultural behavior and if someone sees someone else not doing it well then why should i wear my mask and that makes a lot of sense and so one one kind of example that i think i've come across where i've seen this used really well is you know we all know the influence that social media has now on consumer behavior and what people want to purchase and i've got teenage kids so i really see that (laughs) and um, my, my daughter's on instagram and TikTok and all the rest, right? But uh, one of the things I saw the other day was EasyJet um, introduced their look and book, right? And this actually now been around for a while, but I hadn't picked up on it. That uses, I believe, AI to detect, you know, uh, a post. So you can be on Instagram, you can see an image from an influencer and, you know, maybe they're they're a travel influencer and they've got an image up of a beautiful location. You can use their feature to screen grab it and then upload it within to their look and book app And then it will tell you the nearest flight options in the nearest airport. So it's almost leveraging the fact that people go around, take incredible photos of incredible destinations. And then it's like, now allow us just to take you there and we'll make that process and connection as, as simple as possible. It was like one of these things like, hadn't even seen. And when I came across it, I was like, why doesn't everyone use this? This is fantastic.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an example of use of that concept. So, you know, when basically what is happening is uh, you're seeing others, other people like you and other people generally sort of sharing this thing and engaging with this thing and sort of demonstrating uh, a like for this. And that is affecting you through sort of social proofing because you're wanting to follow that sort of group behavior and it's influencing your perceptions of these things
0: fantastic so give give us another example there uh, where these you know behavioral biases could be used for attention.
1: yeah so i think another one is i'd probably say there's a there's an idea so you know gamification is a word which is used a lot and i think sort of the, the the use of gamification and rewards in uh, the way that companies maintain retention of customers has sort of, Im- there are important implications from behavioral economics f- for for that as well. So, I mean, essentially what this is, is as people get closer to achieving something like some kind of reward, uh, what the research has shown is that people tend to work harder and harder towards that goal as they get closer to it. And this is something which is known as the goal gradient effect. So essentially what it's saying is that our motivation is based on how close we are um, to reaching a target. Um, So, you know, if you think about reward systems that are used for retention, then there's clear implications for that there and how you set up and frame those rewards. Just to give an everyday example, you think about people there when they want to keep fit, they set themselves small fitness goals each day because then they can work towards them and they're not too far away. And that helps people to, to get the exercise that they need. That can be brought into the retention sort of space by thinking about how can uh, that goal gradient effect and the use of rewards and the fact that people want to work hard towards things as they get close to be used in the way that you construct and set up and um, reward schemes.
0: And that's really interesting. And so, uh, let me um, put that into, I guess, an everyday example that that I haven't. When we used to be back in in town, um, I used to use the NES app to find like local restaurants at lunchtime, right? But the reason that we liked it in the office was because the more you used it and it gave you kind of discounts and promotions right off local um, um, shops. Right. And so it was, it was a case of the more you used it, your ranking would go up and therefore you would achieve this kind of next level right within it. And they, they gave them kind of almost, you know, comedic names, right? Lean, <laughs> and stuff like that. But there was an internal uh, competition in the office, right? So who could get to the highest level? So yeah. so I guess wh- I just to like what you're saying here, it it doesn't need to be perhaps a financial or, you know, even a significant, you know, because everyone's concerned about margins and like giving away things. Right. So it's like this, this could be leveraged in a way that you don't have to give anything is the question.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's a very sort of good example, because as you say, you have lots of different levels. So you have lots of intermediate goals. So you can see where the next goal is and you want to work towards it. And the fact, you know, it's gamified. So you're engaging with something and you're getting simply enjoyment from the game itself. So yeah, it's definitely a good example of the use of these concepts.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, Super interesting. And I think it's great for people to hear because I I know when we did the report, you know, I think probably only 51% of retailers were leveraging anything like this in their programs. And so it allows people to think about how do we implement this without having to, you know, have a a cost attached to it, right? But it can have a positive impact on business.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, looking, I guess, forward. So what, what changes are we seeing in today's climate? And, you know, how does that relate with behavioral economics and and, any insights and, and things that you might have?
1: So, I mean, the sort of the obvious thing is that in today's climate, we seem to be heading for a fairly kind of tricky period economically, I think. So uh, the, the, the furlough scheme is ending and that might see um, a number of people losing jobs, unfortunately, which could put pressure on um, families' budgets. So in the short term, one thing you might expect to see is that leading to a number of people essentially looking for good deals, basically looking to make the most of, uh, of their budgets, looking for savings and where possible possible, essentially. Um, so I think that that trend is important for sort of consumer behavior and the consumer outlook generally.
0: What opportunities are there for, like we talked about at the very beginning, isn't it, about retaining and creating loyalty with consumers and making sure they're adapting to the immediate needs. You know, I think when I think of one example you know, that we've seen is that the adoption or change in behavior, right, from people you know, there hasn't seeming to be a dip in spend, right? People are still purchasing. They've just adapted how they Mm. purchase, right? They move from in-store to online. And um, that's made new challenges, right, around how do you even get a slot with a supermarket?
1: Um, Yeah, absolutely. But
0: but I guess brands should be thinking then about how do they utilize, you know, whether it's loyalty programs, whether it's savings programs, how can they help consumers um, more at a time when it is going to probably present even greater challenges as we move forward. And one of the examples I really liked, you know, seeing airlines, right, where some of those have really advanced and integrated um, programs like loyalty and engagement programs where they're able to still communicate and provide value to consumers through everyday shopping when actually their own core product aren't even saleable, but it's given them an ability to, to communicate and, and to yeah. retain a conversation. Yeah. And so... Talk about consumer confidence. Like, you know, what what are what are the kind of you know, the results with consumer confidence during COVID and, and what do you think when well, in your view, like what do you think it's gonna mean then for consumer spending as we as we really progress further forward?
1: So I think In the present moment, if you look, for example, at GFK's Consumer Confidence Index, that came in at a reading of minus 27 in August, which was flat on the previous month. Um, But it is well and truly below uh, what was recorded the same time last year, which was a reading of uh, minus 14. So what that says is that at present, at least, British consumers are, are quite pessimistic but i think that this is a kind of it's um, it's obviously a very fluid and unpredictable climate at the moment so you know these things might change there's also people have been actually a lot of people have been saving quite a lot over lockdown so there you know there is a lot of people have spare money at the moment it's just a case of whether or not they will uh, use that and how they will use it.
0: That's really interesting. So, and, and so, if people are saving, do you think that's driven? Again, thinking about behavior, do you think it's is that a like a nesting type reaction? Is that people waiting for things to build a layer of confidence before they return to spending, or what do you think drives
1: that? Yeah, so I think that's definitely a big part of it. Um, so, in the current context, there is a lot of uncertainty, and people will be thinking about their kind of job stability and uh, the economic situation going forward and although there's a people have a lot more money in bank accounts than they have had before simply because people couldn't spend that you know there's some statistics from the that the financial times reported that said that uh people have we saved as a country 16 billion pounds or some huge figure in april compared to some an average of 5 billion in the previous months so there's people have saved money over lockdown because they've literally been prevented from going out and spending that cash but the, the the issue is what happens next uh, and how do people use that money. And from a behavioral point of view, it's going to be a lot about uh, people's confidence and what they see as being prospects in sort of six months, a year's time and whether they're, they're confident in 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 spending that money or whether they want to have it as a sort of a bit of a buffer basically
0: yeah super interesting and and don't tell cx loyalty but obviously i say four four thousand pounds a year not getting the train into work <laughs> so, <laughs> so work, working from home definitely has its advantages um but that's really interesting and, and like you say i think there is a a collective of people who do have now this this additional saving and income and it's like how do you so like we've touched on at the beginning right how do you enable people to commit to purchases in the future so let's use travel as a good example but mitigating risk from their their thinking and their psychology right like we talked about with the free cancellation filter how do you provide people with incentives or rewards, right, to help, whether it's even just simple as cashback, just a way as reducing costs, so when they do make transactions and purchases, they feel like they're gaining something back for that. So yeah, I think it's really important um, where retailers should seek to find ways to reward customers with, if I like, strategic offers, right, to retain margins but still having high perceived value so um, as an example you know I'm I'm always like I love how numbers tell a good story as I said and it's like a and if you have a 10% margin and a 2% increase on that has the same impact on profit as a 20% increase in orders right so you can just focus on the small small gains and you know I was thinking then about well how does that relate and I was having this conversation the other day with someone about well you know, you don't always want to give away things for free right so how could you provide value for consumers help them make decisions but not at the cost of your margin because ultimately you you ideally want to be strategic and kind of cross sell products with those that are high demand with those that have a high margin for you but you know one one thought was like you know if someone was purchasing over a, let's say 100 pounds then you know like creating a kind of spend stretch right then could you just give away instead of discounts off the products could you just give away free delivery for example for a certain period of time six or 12 months because it costs you nothing at the point of sale but ultimately then drives frequency and creates almost a more loyal behavior moving forward so i love your point really and at around you know people have available funds at the moment it's about how do you unlock it in an intelligent manner that doesn't cost you money but creates that that frequency and that uh, lifetime value with you as a brand and so just to capture some kind of key takeaways because this has been obviously a super interesting discussion and thank you so much for for sharing your knowledge uh with our you know audience and i just uh, kind of key things that really want to stand out you know for me it, it really starts with businesses absolutely should be looking at these behavior-led theories and how could they apply the right ones to their business. As yeah. you know, we mentioned at the beginning, there's a huge amount of them and therefore it's really about recognizing perhaps where's there a gap in how your uh, e-commerce business, whether it's travel or retail, operates today and where could you implement this in order to boost retention and conversion. Um, and then it seems like, again, it's like probably most commonly in e-commerce, I I see a lot of people do focus on conversion more than maybe they focus on retention. So are there a couple of tactics they could implement there, like we've discussed today, that would really enable them to retain this higher volume of consumers they may well be experiencing now because they're a well-positioned online business? But I would really love to capture you know, your takeaways and what you think is really important for people moving yeah. forward.
1: Totally agree with everything you've said there, basically. I think that you're, you're completely right that uh, businesses will succeed and it will help them greatly if they adopt these um behavioural led theories and ideas into e-commerce strategies. I think that what I'd add to that is it's important to really understand the ideas um before adopting them. So as we said, there are there are many different ideas that can be used and we've touched on sort of just a, a few of the really key ones today. Um, you know, but there are others which you know can learn about, for example, from the report that we that we have um put together Together, Um, so to understand, firstly conceptually what the ideas are. So, uh, what's the research behind them? What's what does it mean? What is the, the the core of the idea and the concept? But then also looking at and thinking about sort of different inventive ways that these things can be applied. So, you know, we mentioned earlier that sort of gamification, for example, is is one of the ideas which is utilized a lot less than others. Um, and it is one of the ones which requires a lot more sort of innovative and creative thinking about how to leverage it and utilize it. So having a, a really good fundamental understanding of the principles and also a good idea of how these things can be used in practices and examples of how they have been used by others and then that the businesses that are really going to succeed are the ones that are going to take on board as many of these different ideas as possible and and really use them in the way that they interact and engage with customers and the customer journey and what the customer sees and hears and feels when they are um, engaging with those companies.
0: Yeah, I love that. And and I think, you know, just on that, it is because all you're really doing here is aligning your online or e-commerce business with natural human behaviours, right? So you're you're not creating something new. You're just aligning your business, the way you present information with natural human behaviours that have been around, I'm assuming for millions of years, right? So that's super interesting. (laughs)
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is all about really about fundamentally how people behave and having a a better understanding of that and then using those insights in the sort of the the way that you do business, basically. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, I want to say. You know, I think we've we've hit our time. So I want to say a massive thank you to you, James, for, you know, and London Economics for the incredible insight that you've provided today. That is obviously not it. There is a lot more in the report that you can take a look at. So I want to thank everyone for listening and suggest that if you've got any comments, please leave them in the section below. We can add a URL to the report and I'll I'll give it to you now. www.webloyalty.co.uk Forward slash digital hyphen choice hyphen report. So download the report, take a look at it. There's a lot of insights in there uh, from James London Economics and some additional research that we did where we explored uh, 50 of the biggest e commerce uh, organizations and then looked at what biases they were utilizing across conversion and retention to give you an insight of where they're utilized highly today and where they're underutilized. So that is it. So, James, thank you so much. Thank you. And have a great rest of the day.
1: Thank you.